At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. Today, I want to deviate from our original plan just a little bit. You know we've been talking about these habits, these ancient practices that really have been left for us to deepen our relationship with God. Our God is a relational God. He is not like uh, other gods that uh, are just lawgivers, but our God has gone through great lengths in order to have a relationship with his creation, his redeemed people. That is why he has sent Christ to die, atone, resurrect for us, but also that is why he has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we might not only know his power, but his presence. So I want to talk about this. Now, we've been journeying through Matthew 6, and if we would have stayed on that course today, I would have been talking about fasting. But I decided to go to Luke chapter 4, and it's kind of a debt that I feel like I owe to you. You know, earlier this summer, we uh, gave you a series called Lament. This has been a summer of lament. So I figured that I owed you at least one Sunday of celebration. So that's what we're going to look at today, the spiritual discipline of celebration. Now, when we were going through Lamentations, one of the things that we said is that many of us have not developed a skill of how to express our hearts to God in difficult times. When difficult days come, it's important for us to know that we can take even our pain, our heartache, our disappointment to the Lord, and he's with us even in those moments. How many thank God that he is faithful, not just on the mountaintop, but in the valley as well? How many praise God for that? But today, I want to just remind you that every moment is not a valley moment. Every moment is not a sad moment. There is much reason to rejoice. As a matter of fact, I will say that our lives should be marked by the habit of celebration. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. We're going to just look at a few verses today. Now, there are different types of habits. Some habits are minor habits that may cause minor problems, like a little bit too much caffeine. Some of you have uh, that habit in your life, and I pray that you'll be able to get over it. Maybe a little bit too many uh, carbs. I, I won't pretend to be a nutritionist or, or a doctor, but you've already heard that you should cut back on those things. But I want to talk about some of those habits that have real deep, meaningful results or outcomes. On the negative side, there are habits like the habit of self-reliance. When we look to our own wisdom for guidance, when we depend on our own strength, we just sang a song in Christ alone. But many of us are not living uh, a life that depends on the power of Christ alone. Many of us are living as if it is our strength alone that will rescue us. That's a bad habit. Or what about the habit of keeping a grudge? unforgiveness. That's a really bad habit. And the reason why these habits are so bad is because they alienate or undermine our relationship, our relationship with a God who loves us and our covenant relationships with the people that God has placed in our lives. 
And so the habits we've been looking at, these ancient practices, what they do, what they're designed to do is to bring us into deeper relationship with God and thereby blessing our relationship with others. Scripture reading allows us to understand the heart of God and draw closer to him. Prayer is a vehicle that God has given for us to have an ongoing conversation with the lover of our souls. But today I wanna to talk about celebration and why is celebration so important? It's because celebration draws God to you in an intimate way that God inhabits, according to the psalmist, the praises of his people. I kind of put it this way. You know, when I uh, first started traveling and uh, speaking at various conferences, I would go away and on the way back, I would buy my kids a gift. I would stop when they were younger and buy them some uh, little gift, a, a, a memento, if you will, to kind of uh, just mark me uh, coming back. But what I loved is even though I would come back with all of these gifts, most of my kids were more excited to see me than they were for the gift. Notice I said most of my children. I will not name the one who was not. But most of my children were pretty excited, not so much about the blessing, but the blessor, the giver of the gift. And as they were excited to see me walk through the door, I was more drawn to them. As a matter of fact, I will say to you today that no matter what is going on in my week, the greatest moment of every day is when I pull into that driveway, lift up the garage door, walk into the house, and those little feet come running at me for those big hugs. How many remember those days when your kids were little or some of you are living through those days now? Cherish those moments. In the same way, when we are drawn to God, when we celebrate God, he is drawn to us as well. Well, the Bible gives us a lot of insight into this whole spiritual discipline of celebration. Before we look at uh, this beautiful text in Luke, let me give you a definition of celebration. You may want to write this down. But celebration is the spiritual practice of thanking God. It's the spiritual practice of thanking God for all of who he is, all that he has done for us in Christ Jesus, and the good things that he has given us. Let me say that again. Celebration is the spiritual practice of thanking God for all of who he is. How many thank God for who he is? That he is good, that he is holy, that he is wonderful, gracious, and merciful. Come on, how many thank God for those things? All that he has done for us in Christ. How many thank God for the atonement, for the fact that he has uh, canceled our sin debt, for the fact that we are forgiven in Jesus, amen? And then the third thing is uh, the good things that he gives. How I many thank God for all the good things that he is giving you? Come on, praise the name of Jesus. Amen. I appreciate some of you giving me a golf clap, but God is good. And we have marked his goodness through these acts of celebration. Think about it for a moment. A wedding. What is a wedding? A wedding is a celebration of the good gift of marriage. A birthday party. What is a birthday party? It is a celebration of the good gift of someone's life. Think about Christmas for a moment. What is it? It's a celebration of the fact that Christ has come, that God has sent the Messiah into the world, the Savior of the world. 
Think about Easter for a moment. What is Easter? Easter is a celebration of the atoning work of Christ, that he died for our sins, but even more, he rose again with all power in his hand, and we celebrate him. Well, here's the thing, friends, is that part of being a Christian means that our lives should be marked by celebration. It should be marked by thanksgiving. It should be marked by gratitude. What that means is that if I were to talk to your friends, your neighbors, those who know you most, your family, and ask them to describe you, that one of the characteristics they should use in describing you is that you are a grateful person that you are a thankful person, that you are a person who is daily, actively thanking God for who he is, for what he's done, and for the good gifts he has given. Now, throughout the Gospels, we are given uh, several uh, uh, insights into why we should praise, but here's what I believe Luke is gonna teach us today, is that praise is the exclamation point of the Christian life. Consider that for a moment. Praise is the exclamation point of the Christian life. What that means is that the Christian life doesn't end with a question mark at the end. We don't end wondering what's next or where do we go from here. We end with an emphatic yes and amen that God is good and he proves it both now and forevermore. Let's look at verses uh, uh, 14. I'll start in verse number 14. We're going to focus most of our attention on 17 through 19, but let me just set this up. Verse number 14 comes after Jesus' baptism, and this marks the beginning of, the, uh, of Luke's narrative of his public ministry. And it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through, uh, through uh, went out rather through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and read. Now, before we go forward with what he read, I just want you to think about the setting for a moment. This is Jesus small town hero. This was someone who came from a town that had this slogan attached to it, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now we all know whether we're from a big town or a small town, we understand what it's like for a small town boy to grow up and make it big. It not only is significant for their lives, but it brings pride to the entire town. So picture Nazareth, that now they have this acclaimed preacher, this popular prophet, this miracle worker, this he, uh, healer that all the region knows about. And he shows up back at home and he's in a synagogue. How excited must they have been to hand him the scroll on that day as a visiting rabbi for him to read to them from the scroll. But God has something far more profound than what they even imagined at work. First, he gives us through this text what he read. Look at verse number 17. It says, and the scroll of, I, of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
This is awesome. He has stood up and he has read from the prophet Isaiah, in particular chapter 61. Now, some will say that Jesus found that passage. Other historians or theologians will say that was a predetermined reading at the synagogue for that day. Whatever the conclusion was, it was a passage that was prophetically fulfilled in the moment where Jesus read it. He goes on to tell us that. He says, and he rolled up the scroll in verse 20 and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What does he want us to understand? What does Luke want us to understand? Number one, he wants us to understand the reason why we should celebrate. The reason for celebration. The reason for celebration is because Jesus proclaims himself to be the Messiah. I want you to consider just a couple of things that come out of these few words. First, the mission of the Messiah. The mission of the Messiah was good news. He came to them to proclaim good news. And that is what the Messiah proclaims to you and us today. Not just good news, but good news for now. You know, his sermon would have been unlike any other sermon that they had ever heard. They were used to having people stand up and read from the scriptures and expound on promises from the past. You ever been in a sermon like that? where somebody stands up and maybe they read from Isaiah and they tell you all of these wonderful historical facts. Isaiah was written 800 years before this moment, where he would have done his ministry, what the focus of his ministry was. And you find yourself saying, this is great information, but what does this have to do with me right now? You know, Jesus is powerful because he takes the promises of the past, these prophetic uh, promises of the past, and he brings them to the here and the now. The other way that often they would have heard uh, the scriptures preach is not only the prophecies of the past, but the promises of the future. They would have heard someone proclaiming about what is to come. And for many of us, we know that heaven lies ahead. How many believe that? That heaven lies ahead for us. And how many praise God for that? But sometimes, if we were honest, we would have to admit that heaven seems so far away. And this is what makes verse 21 so powerful. Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Everybody say today. Today is such a right now word. Today is such a wonderful word. He wanted them to know that his coming is good news, not just for tomorrow, not just for yesterday, but his coming is good news for right now. And friends, I don't know what you're facing right now, but I do know this, that the Messiah in your life is good news. And what we should be able to do, no matter what we're facing right now, is in every day, give thanks. To give thanks for all that he has done for us in Christ. To give thanks for all of who he is and give thanks for the good things that he has given. Notice that I'm grounding our thanksgiving in those things that are eternal and not temporal. Who he is doesn't change. Circumstances may change, but how many know his goodness does not change? What he's done for us in Christ never changes. The fact that you are forgiven, that's an eternal promise. And the good things that he gives to us, the world can't give and the world can't take away. 
Second thing that I love about this is it tells us about who the Messiah's message is for. Notice who the Messiah's message is for. He has come to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind and is set at liberty those who are oppressed. Notice that he comes for the broken. He comes for the destitute. He comes for those who are overwhelmed by life. He comes not for the perfect. Maybe you are here and you have a perfect resume. Let me just tell you, you came into the wrong classroom. This is not the assembly of the perfect. We are the assembly of the redeemed. We are those who have been broken by life, who have messed up resumes, who have missed a mark. But how many praise God that he came for us? How many thank God that it didn't say, that it didn't say he came for the perfect? I don't know if I would have qualified. I'm sure I wouldn't. I, I praise God it didn't say he came for the cute. I wouldn't have measured up. I praise God it didn't come for people with a certain IQ or better. Maybe you would have missed a mark. Praise God he didn't come for those who had a certain net worth or better. Praise God he came for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord, in particular those of us that find ourselves in trouble. You know, most of us are used to thanking God when life is going well. But if I'm reading this right, you and I need to thank God when we are oppressed. We need to thank God when we are blind. We need to thank God when we are poor. Why? Precisely become Messiah, because Messiah has come, because Jesus has come. And when Christ comes into the world and into our lives, it changes everything. How many praise God that he has come for us? Maybe you find yourself right now in one of these scenarios, bad doctor's report, tough economic season. Maybe you find yourself being mistreated by others. Listen, don't take on the mindset of somebody who is discouraged or defeated, but trust in the Lord that he is faithful. Well, the last thing I would love for you to see under these reasons why we should praise is not only his uh, mission and his message, but his ministry. And what is his ministry? Did you notice what his ministry is? It's a ministry of freedom and favor. Over and again, he keeps saying to set free, to give liberty is the word in most of your translations, this sense of freedom, but favor as well. Verse number 19 is important, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, what is that referring to? Well, that's referring to this Old Testament concept known as the year of Jubilee. If you want to understand it, you could uh, spend time reading Deuteronomy chapter 15 and chapter 25. It explains this concept of the year of Jubilee. And in that concept, what God told Israel is, I want you to be a different type of people. I don't want you to be the type of people that keeps a debt forever, that holds a grudge forever that keeps someone in bondage forever. Here's what God says. I want you to be a forgiving people. So here's the rule is that every 50th year would be a year of Jubilee. And in that 50th year, all debts are to be forgiven. How many praise God for that? All debts are to be forgiven. Some of you reluctantly clapped. I'll come back to you in a minute. 
in the 50th year, all slaves are to be set free. Now, most of the slaves would have been indentured servants or those who had accumulated so much debt that there was no way they could have paid it off. So they sell themselves out as employees or workers to try to work off their debt. And that was okay until the 50th year came and then you were to let them go. How many think that's a good idea? Well, a few of you. Here's the funny thing, the interesting thing, is how you feel about the year of Jubilee depends entirely on whether or not you are a borrower or a lender. If you are a borrower, it is praise Jesus. This is a good idea. If you are a lender, it is, man, this is a pretty expensive thing. You're telling me I gotta let them uh, just forgive their debt and let them go free? If you are the owner of the slave, it's it's an entirely different proposition. And that is why Bible scholars will tell you what is interesting of all the commands that God gave Israel, the feasts that they were to keep, the traditions, the practices, this is one that we never see them practice in all of Scripture. From the time of Deuteronomy when it was given till, uh, till this moment, we never see Israel practice it. Why? It's because the people in power considered it to be far too expensive of a concept to actually apply. But Jesus, rich in mercy, shows up and he says, that God, the lender of heaven, who is giving you breath and life and all things to enjoy, is today announcing the forgiveness of all debts. Your sin debt that was far too great for you to pay in Christ has been forgiven. Jesus is the fulfillment of the year of Jubilee. He forgives our debts and offers us grace and mercy. How many thank God and praise God for it? Jesus fulfills the year of Jubilee. He says, God has come so that we might be forgiven and our sin debt has been wiped away. Praise God. Friends, that's something worth praising him over. No matter what comes your way, every day you should find yourself praising. But we also need examples of this. We need examples. How many have in your life someone who's an example of gratitude? They're just a thankful person. Anybody out there? You got a person like that? Two of you, praise God. (laughs) You got a person like the rest of you are around grumpy people. No, but, but praise God for the people who have set examples in our lives of what it means to be thankful. And, and if you really find a thankful person, you won't be able to measure it by how thankful they are when things are well, when things are prospering, when their children are doing well, when what they want out of life is happening. The real measure of gratitude, my friends, is when the uninvited, the unwanted, the undesired touches your life. Are you able to praise God then? Is your faith strong enough then to praise God? A couple of examples that stand out in my life. One is a story I've told you before. You know, in my previous church, I'll never forget, we were opening a new campus. 
And on the eve of us opening that campus, a group had gathered together to uh, help us to decorate the building and to set things in place because the next day, the people of God were going to gather in that building for the first time to worship. It was an exciting evening. And one of the volunteers that was there helping us was uh, one of our members. Her name was Crystal Knight. She was a news reporter in this area. And uh, she was leaving the evening. There was joy in the atmosphere. And as she was walking across the street, she was hit by a hit-and-run driver. She ended up spending, I think, uh, in total about 15 months in the hospital, 19 surgeries or so. And I remember as a young pastor, uh, knowing that I needed to go and visit her after she was there for a little while. And I remember having fear in my heart, nervousness as I was approaching the hospital, saying, what am I going to say to my dear sister to encourage her? Well, to my surprise, I thought I was going to encourage her. I showed up at the hospital and she was encouraging me. She was praising God for how good he had been. She was celebrating his faithfulness. She was thanking God for that day that he had given. And I was blown away and a little bit confused. And my curiosity got the best of me. And I asked her, Crystal, where is this coming from? How are you praising God? And she said to me something I'll never forget. She said, Pastor, I have set a goal, not just to lead well for Christ, but to honor Christ well, even in suffering, to suffer well for Christ. And I never heard anybody express that as a goal, to suffer well for Christ, to have an attitude of gratitude, even in suffering. It was something that blew me away. But since that day, I've adopted that in my own life, that Jesus, whenever my allotted time of difficulty comes, not something that any of us go seeking after, but when he ordains that to come into our lives, in those rare moments for our own growth and development, I pray that I will be found suffering well, praising God. How many want to praise God, not just on the mountaintop, but even in the valley? How many want to praise God for his goodness? Another story I'll never forget was a trip to Northeast Africa. 2007, a group of friends of mine, we went there for a couple of weeks to Uganda. We were in the northern region of Uganda uh, there uh, serving. And while we were there serving, we had a tour guide take us on a tour. One of the places that he stopped at was this place called uh, this uh, site of the missionaries that were martyrs. And uh, he told us a story how in the late 1800s, there were a group of young men who came there to evangelize this region that at that time was very pagan. It was Christianized by the time we were there, but it was pagan at the time when they came. And they preached Jesus, they proclaimed Jesus, but then they were arrested by the leadership of that section of the country at the time. And they uh, were burned at the stake. They were literally wrapped in sticks and thrown into a fire. But the story goes like this, that while they were being thrown into the fire, they were singing praises to God. And I thought to myself, that's mind boggling. How can you sing praises to God while being martyred and thrown into the fire? Some of us would consider that inconceivable. And I'll never forget what the tour guide said to me. He says, because of God's grace. And I said, how so? He said, because God gives grace, not just for salvation, but God gives grace in suffering as well. My friends, don't fear when suffering comes your way because the same God who is gracious enough to save us is gracious enough to keep us even in suffering. 
A lot of us fear the unknown. What if I get a doctor's report that I don't want? Or what if I uh, face a problem or circumstance with my son or daughter that I dread? What if the uninvited, the unwelcome, the undesired encroaches upon my life? Well, if that should happen, just know that the same God who saved us is able to keep us, that he gives us grace not just for salvation, but grace in suffering as well. How many want to be an example of thanksgiving, even in difficult times? Well, he closes by giving us an example of what a lifestyle of celebration looks like. What does a lifestyle of celebration look like? Well, I hope you didn't miss what uh, the scripture said concerning uh, Jesus. Let's go back for just a moment to verse number 16. And it says that he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. As was his custom. This was a life of celebration. Jesus lived a life of celebration. And what was that life marked by? It was marked by a gathering just like this. His custom was to gather together with the people of God on the Sabbath for one reason, and that was to praise God for all of who he is, for all that he had accomplished for us, and for all the good things he had given to us. It was Jesus, the Messiah. It was his custom to gather together. If you're going to live a life of celebration, friends, you can't do that in isolation. If your life is gonna be marked by a life of gratitude to Christ, it has to be marked by the gathering together with God's people. Now, on average, we get 52 Sundays a year. Now, you throw in Good Friday and Christmas Eve, that's 54 opportunities we have on average per year to gather together to praise his name. How many believe because of all that he's done that he deserves every one of those 54 opportunities we get to praise the name of Jesus together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just the good weeks, but every week. So I want to give you the 54-week challenge. I want to encourage you to make it your goal that every time there is an opportunity for you to gather together with the people of God, to lift up the name of God, to praise him for all of who he is, all that he's accomplished for us in Christ Jesus, and for all the good things that he's done, that you would do it. Not when your circumstances tell you to, but because forever and always, he is King of kings, he is Lord of lords, and he is good. How many believe that with all your heart? Amen? Well, today, I want to close our service by thanking God. And I want to thank God for the leaders of our kids' ministry. You know, later on, uh, my uh, son at 1130 service, Judah, is going to be baptized today. And I'm pretty fired up about that as a dad. One of the things that was uh, so touching to me is this week as we were working on his testimony, he understood and knew these gospel icons that our kids' ministry teaches our kids about the uh, salvation that is found in Christ alone. And I found myself thanking God for them, but for one couple in particular, 
for Matt and Adrian Weedy. And I want to invite up the Weedies today to come and join me on stage. Uh, Matt and Adrian have been serving uh, this church for uh, some time as a family. As a matter of fact, they grew up here at Woodside. And uh, recently, uh, they sensed that God was calling them to a new chapter of ministry all the way on the other side of the country in California. And we just want to say thank you and to be a blessing to this couple who has meant so much to us. Can you give them a big, big hand as they come? Oh, come on, Woodside. They have served our children, our families. We need to praise God for them. <laughs> praise God for you guys. Listen, I will make this quick because I know you got kids with you, but I just want to say how much we appreciate you guys. Again, as I mentioned, you grew up in this church. Not only did you find Christ, but you found a bride, and we don't advertise that. We don't say, come to Woodside and you'll find a spouse. Sometimes that happens. But along the way, you guys blessed us tremendously. And uh, we just want you to know how much we're, we're grateful for you. As you go to California, as you prepare for your next chapter of ministry, how can we be praying for you? Um, well, thank you so much for your prayers already. You know, so many people in this room have, have lifted us in prayers throughout the years, and we thank you and praise the Lord for each and every one of you. Um, just be praying for, for our marriage. Be praying for our kids. You know, doing, uh, being a pastor and leading that out, it's got to start in your own home. Um, so be praying for that, and then just be praying for ministry wisdom as we go into a, a new cultural setting and bring the message of Jesus. Amen. Now, it seems like God is already answering those prayers for your family because you got a big day today for Miss Estelle. Can you share a little bit about that? Estelle, in our 1130 service, is going to be publicly professing her faith in Christ through baptism. So happy for you, brother. Let's pray. Can you extend forth your hands, church, as we thank God for this wonderful couple? Father, thank you for this family. Thank you for Matt and Adrian for life already marked by Jesus, for the testimony of fruitfulness and for all that you have in store for them. We pray that you would bless them, their marriage and their children. And we pray the Lord that the season ahead will be marked by them bearing much fruit and that that fruit will remain. Keep them safe. Prosper them as they go. In Jesus' name, we say thank you. Amen, amen. and amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.